1019-WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Before we get started today, I want to tell you about something that is coming up that's pretty exciting. Latino USA, the show that you hear here on WDET Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. is coming to Detroit. You are invited to watch a live conversation with host Maria Hinojosa and me at the Senate Theater in southwest Detroit on Wednesday, March 4th at 7 p.m. That program is going to be recorded for the In the Thick podcast. You can find information and tickets at WDET.org slash events. Up first today, we have been talking for a really long time in this state about our underdeveloped workforce. In fact, I can remember 10 years ago, it seemed all of the various factions and interests in the state, government, business, nonprofits, seemed coalesced around the idea that we had to do better. We had to get people more training. We had to get people more opportunity to get to jobs. The good news is that we've made some progress. There are more people who have the training that they need for the jobs that are available. But many employers still can't seem to find employees to fill low- and mid-skilled jobs. Again, the workers are out there, but according to a report from the Citizens Research Council of Michigan that came out last month, there's a disconnect still between the labor force and the jobs. Here to tell us more about this issue is one person who is struggling to reach her professional goals due in large part to transportation challenges, Amber Lindsay. And joining her is Citizens Research Council of Michigan President Eric Lufer. Amber and Eric, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hi, Steve. It's great to be with you again. So let's start with you, Amber. Tell us a little about uh, about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where are you living now? And then tell us about the challenges you've had trying to get and keep a job. Um, I grew up on the east side of Detroit, um, East Warren area. Um, I, um, I have three children and um, struggling with like the workforce. Um, due to my driver's license being suspended, uh, consecutive years of having driver responsibility um, stopped me from a lots of jobs opportunities, mm-hmm. um, jobs that were maybe far away from where I lived or just jobs that required me to have a license. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just it was a struggle. Like you'll pay the ticket off. But with the driver responsibility, you had to pay it a consecutive year. So you pay 500 and you pay 500 a sec, uh, the next year. Mm-hmm. But just imagine if you got three, four tickets, you're paying thousands of dollars just to like really apply for a job. Right, right. Uh, can you talk a little more about how you got into trouble with your, with your license? Um, well, not having my tags properly on a car or um, not paying a ticket, and then that ticket goes into suspension. And now that that's in suspension, um, I have a warrant. With that warrant, it goes into the police. If you do drive, um, now you you know the police take you, and you don't get anywhere. Right. So so essentially, the idea of not having enough money. Yeah, to pay for to pay the ticket. The tickets makes you into a criminal who now can't get work, also because 
your license is suspended. Yes. And you don't have it for for employment. Right. Yeah. Um, you were charged with committing a felony at one point. Uh, talk about how your troubles in the past with the law have impacted your ability to get work. Oh, yeah. Um, so with that, um, I did something again to get money to provide for my family, um, thinking that I was just going to, at the time I did have my license, mm-hmm. I was going to drive someone to another state. They were doing some illegal activity, and I just thought I was the driver. Um, come to find out in Missouri and other states, yeah, it's conspiracy. So whatever they had or whatever they were into, you're automatically into it. Um, I didn't have money for an attorney to actually help me get out of this legal situation. So I fell for for the system. I took whatever they were going to offer me and I had a felony. So now I have no license. I have a felony. And yet I'm still trying to provide for my children and my family. So it's just like I went into like a hustle mode to provide for my family. And now I set myself back even further than what I even anticipated, you know, from the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you're a mother of three, and all parents have to face childcare hurdles in terms of trying to get your kids to someplace that they're safe and, and watched after and then get to work. How does that play out for you? Oh, my God. Um, so uh, I'll just go over the story. The last past summer, mm-hmm. um, I paid Lyft to the point where I became homeless because I needed to get back and forth to work. So I don't have my license, but I have to get my kids back and forth to school. I have to get myself back and forth to work where it started to take away from my rent because I'm not making top dollar because I have this felony. I'm capable. I'm, I have all the qualities that this job offer, but because I have this stipulation on myself, they're not going to let me get the job. So going back and forth and just, just paying lift, like living check by check, but I'm setting out a, a certain amount because I know this is going to cost me $600 to get through the whole month and rent is at 850 So it's like... So where do you get it, right? Where do you get it? And instead of me, because I went through that system of being in prison and bring like getting out and then it's like, okay, well, I don't want to take any more steps back. So I don't want to if somebody presents me with a hustle or trying to make some extra cash, I I didn't want to go that route. So I, I took a step back and I said, well, you know, I still have to get back and forth to work. So maybe this home isn't, you know, suitable for me right now because of my finances. And I, like I said, I became homeless mm-hmm. and I still would provide that transportation because I knew I still have to work. I could not give up on myself and I could not give up on my children, mm-hmm. you know, to sit and not do nothing. And a lot of people just don't do anything. I still went to work. I still got them to childcare, and um, I had a lot of uh, a lot of good blessings to come with that situation. People understood that this girl is really trying to get up and provide for her kids, and that a lot of opportunities opened up. Like I had a Lyft driver; she actually like that gave me like a a fare. She'll say, "Okay, just give me two hundred. Mm. So it, the struggle became a little more easier because it's like, okay, now instead of paying six hundred, I'm only paying this two hundred. So now I can budget. Okay, so now I can go find me uh, a home again because now I can fit that in the equation of 
rent and transportation. Sure, sure. Uh, when you say that you gave up your home and became homeless, I, I think there are a lot of images that come into people's minds. But if if you could describe what that looked like, what did that mean, giving up your home? And where did I, you live with your children when you did that? Well, um, that looked like saying that the rent is eight fifty. Um, I'm behind a month or two. So now that's late fees. So now that's into thousands of dollars. And um, I went through an organization called the SOS, which is the South Oakland Shelter. And they actually, um, they housed us. But I, I, I have ambition. I call myself ambitious and am. And I just <laughs> said, well, at least I know my kids will be somewhere safe. I didn't want to go to family members and go to this person's house. And we already had, like, um, an agenda. We had the kids go to school in this area, so I didn't want to take away. And my family's from the east side. I now live on the west side <laughs> of Detroit. <laughs> so it's like I couldn't go all the way over there to inconvenience other people. So this place, they, they took me in, and um, they housed us, basically. And I was still paying for Lyft every day. So they would take us to the site and then I would go um, and get a lift and take the kids to school. And then the lift would take me to work. Wow. Wow. Uh, and I mean, this is an incredible story for our listeners to, to be part of here. Um, it ends pretty well, though. I mean, you're now doing something that will certainly propel you forward. Yes. I'm now, uh, I never gave up. That's that's the main thing. So I never gave up on myself. I am now um, starting my own business, um, a food truck business. Back when I got that felony, I sat back and I said, well, what can I do that is going to continue to make me money? And what can I do to leave back to my children? And all of my family, we cook, and cooking is something that brings everyone together. And I always thought to myself, well, boom, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to have, like, uh, something that people's going to do. But what's trending? And I'm like, well, I don't want to be too trending because I'm just not one of those people that just go with the trend. <laughs> but I know I need to make this income. So I sat back and I said, I'm going to have a food truck. How are you going to have a food truck? You don't have your license. <laughs> right. But I'm going to have this food truck. So that, that, that's the goal. The goal is to have this food truck, and I will leave it behind for, to my children. You can travel with it, and food brings everyone together. Yeah. Like, I don't know anybody that's like, oh, no, if you're angry with someone, you're like, let's go sit down and eat. So th yeah. that's the plan is to have my uh, food truck, Kitchen 85. Mm -hmm. And you are pursuing a degree in culinary arts yes, at Schoolcraft. Yes, I am. Right? I'm now over at Schoolcraft College now. I'm going for a small business management entrepreneur and culinary arts. I'm talking with Amber Lindsay, a mom of three, aspiring food truck owner and a real world example of someone who is grappling with the obstacles that block her from the jobs that are available as part of Michigan's workforce. Also with us is Eric Lufer. He is the president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, which recently has been talking about this disconnect between people who need employment and employers 
who need workers. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and let us know what you think about that disconnect. Are you looking for a job or have been recently been on a job hunt? Talk about the challenges that you've had. Are childcare or transportation barriers to you being able to work at a job that you're qualified for? Or do you have a lack of skills uh, that you need to make up before you could get the job that you want, the job that could provide for you and your family. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Also, uh, give us a call and tell us what you think about the efforts to improve opportunities for Michigan's workforce. We've been talking about this for a long time here in Michigan. Uh, we've made some progress, but as Amber's story really highlights, we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, Eric Lufer, um, what are the big takeaways from Amber's story as far as looking at this problem of the underdeveloped and inopportune uh, dimension of, of the workforce? Yeah, so uh, you know, her story really is, is excerpts from our, our report mm -hmm. looking at the data. Uh, the biggest hurdles that are out there, transportation. Uh, we, of course, are thinking about the Regional Transportation Authority here in Southeast Michigan again and, and how to get meaningful, reliable transit that's going to help our, our populations. Um, child care, one of the biggest hurdles. Uh, not only is it expensive, but it's hard to find. Uh, we don't want to just park our kids in front of a TV and, and, and they'll be safe, but they're, they're, they're just becoming sponges in, in that situation. We want uh, meaningful child care. Well, that costs money. Um, it's, it's hard to find and it costs money. We have an aging population that uh, requires retraining to do a lot of the things that we need, uh, workers need them to do. Uh, and we have a lot of health issues here in Michigan. It's, it's um, something I need somebody to help explain why, why our peninsula has these concentrations of people with health issues. Uh, some of them are drug issues, but a lot of them are disability and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, we looked at the population of people out there that the, that the government knows about, uh, people who could be working, and we looked at the listings for jobs, and it's sort of an equal number of people and jobs. Why aren't we getting them together? Mm -hmm. And when we do get them together, how do we overcome these hurdles so that people like Amber can have that transportation? You know, and her story is a great one. Yes, we have Uber and Lyft. We hear that all the time. We don't need transit because, because we have these services. But they're expensive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Those people driving those cars, they want to get paid. And Uber, for that service it's doing, it wants its share. It's expensive. We can do better. Mm. Other places do better. We need to do better as, as a region, as a community. So one of the things that really stood out to me is, as Amber was telling her story were the, the, the kind of structural barriers that were in her way, the things that may have been designed without the consequence of um, continued poverty in mind. So, so for instance, this question of uh, people's licenses and how they are suspended if you don't 
have the money to pay a ticket, yeah. for instance, uh, and then all of a sudden uh, you're you're there's a warrant out uh, for you because you're driving without a license or or you haven't paid the tickets. I mean, uh, we've talked a lot in this state about those barriers, but I, I feel like no one ever makes the connection between those things and the inability to get out of poverty. I mean, the idea that these things hold you back from opportunities that we're creating in other spaces uh, in order to give people opportunity. Uh, it's almost as if the right hand is not talking to the left hand. Not only that, the right hand doesn't know that the left hand exists. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you know, not only is there poor communication, but there's a inability to recognize that these policies create problems for this population of people who are trying to lift them out, trying to have that ambition and know that they can do better and want better lives for their kids. Um, but we can't keep putting bur uh, burdens in their way, hurdles that they have to clear to do this. Uh, so it's, it's sort of, you know, who are we choosing to, uh, to represent us? Uh, we're choosing middle-aged white men for the most part, more and more women. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not representative of all incomes. It's not representative of all walks of life. And, and therefore, they haven't walked in Amber's shoes. They haven't lived the life of people like Amber to understand that these uh, issues are out there and, and we need to think about them in different ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Um, uh, on Rochelle on Twitter says, have Ember Lindsay check out uh, at Start With Build to enroll in Build Basics business planning class. We can have her connected to funding and a community network to make her food truck a dream come true. So uh, awesome. we will make sure, Amber, that you get that information Thank you. Thank <laughs> uh, you. before you leave here, right? We're actually solving a problem on the yes. show today, right. not just talking I mean, about it. If you have more income, then you're able to provide for your family and your kids. Nobody wants to hustle. I mean, like you saying, you know, they people are, that's in poverty, you know, they don't want to do these things. People don't want to do these things. Some people, yeah, these young people that's out here that's thinking, but people that's my age, we don't want to do this. We want to work our jobs and really not jobs. We want to work our businesses. Mm -hmm. We want people to support our businesses. We want to provide for our children. We want to leave a legacy behind to our children. Like my kids, they... They crack me up. they like, we look up to you. We admire you. And I'm like, I'm not doing nothing but being your mom. But that's <laughs> awesome because it's someone that's not seeing their mom be a mom because she has these barriers. And everybody don't have the ambition. Everybody don't have, you know, uh, just the drive to do it. Because you can have people behind you. And if you don't have that drive for yourself, then you just won't get it done. Mm. And I mentioned I only took Uber and Lyft because where I work, they did not provide me bus transportation out there. Trust me, I would have got on the bus. It's mm. not a big deal. A lot you know, less money. A lot less money. I could have invested in a bus card, you know, and it was like, wow, so I can only get to this certain point and then I have to walk like five miles to my job. Wow. I'm never going to get there. Yeah. 
I'm tired. By the time I get there, I, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue our conversation with Amber Lindsay and Eric Lufer about the disconnect between our workforce and the people who should supply the labor for that workforce. Uh, We also want to continue to hear from you, Robert in Detroit, Paul in Oakland Township, Paul in Troy. We will get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. And as always, thanks very much for tuning in. My guests are Amber Lindsay. She is a mom of three, aspiring food truck owner, and a real-world example of someone who is trying to overcome the obstacles that we still put in front of people who are trying to join Michigan's workforce. Also with us is Eric Lufer. He's the president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, which has a recent report about that disconnect between the workforce and the workers, the things that we don't do to make sure that people connect with opportunity. Uh, If you want to give us a call and join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's get to some of our listeners here. Let's go to Paul in Oakland Township. Paul, what's on your mind? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to kind of relate what you're talking about to the most recent pro- budget proposal that's coming out of Washington that's going to cut close to a half a trillion dollars for the SNAP program, education. This concept, so I was listening to a senator, senator on the radio, and the, this belief that it really takes some tough love. You know, people really, um, charity holds them back. Um, you know, why do we want to pay people to stay home? Um, when they should be out working. But I think this story kind of tells the reasons why uh, charity doesn't really hold people back. Mm. Yeah, um, uh, great point, uh, Paul. I'm really glad uh, you called and made that. Eric Lufer, budgeting, not just in Washington, but also in Lansing, is one of the things that I think it's one of the levers we can pull to try to make this look different. I mean, so... We have programs. Uh, the state has more than 30 different programs that are aimed at workforce development, talent uh, development. The problem is they're not necessarily serving this population. Most of them are federally funded, which means there's restrictions on what they can do with the money and who they can serve with the money. And they're geared towards the unemployed. They're geared towards people in poverty. Uh, they're geared towards special populations like returning citizens. This population that we're talking about is has been termed the Alice population, the asset-limited, income-constrained, but employed, mm-hmm. right? They're above poverty, but they're not making a sustainable wage. And and it's sort of the, the, the crack in the system that's not being served. If you're in poverty, you can get served. If you're unemployed, you can get served. But if you're working, but you need help, you need that lift up, you need uh, some training to do better, you're not eligible for these programs. And uh, you know, a lot of that means going to D.C. and trying to make changes 
uh, or having our state legislature understand that this is holding back Michigan back, holding our economy back, and investment in this type of thing will lift the whole state and, and help our economy to do better. Uh, but right now it's it's missing. It's, yeah. it's not being served. Uh, that, that point you make about uh, this Alice way of looking at poverty as opposed to the unemployment rate, which is what everybody focuses on. And we've got such a low unemployment rate right now. I mean, uh, historically low, but it's not translating to opportunity for some of the people who are actually working. I mean, there are people working at jobs or at multiple jobs and not able to make enough money to cover just the basic costs of living. Yeah, you know, back in the 1930s, we could judge our economy based on the unemployment rate. And, you know, then in the 80s, we had this. Uh, but when we look at the combination of unemployed and the Alice population, it's roughly a third of our population, a third of our households, not making a wage that's sustainable. So all it takes is one event, right? One day you're child is sick and you can't leave him or her. Uh, and now the boss says you don't show up, you don't get paid, and that's affecting your income. It's it's one day the car doesn't start and now you can't get to work and and that triggers these types of events. So we have to understand that, you know, people like Amber are out there hustling. They're, they're trying to make that uh, income, trying to make the note, live an honest life and do the right things, but these hurdles are getting in the way and, and that's not good. We, our economy is not prospering. And, and there's people sitting on the sidelines because of these hurdles, getting them back into the workforce, getting them more engaged would lift our economy in so many ways, get more p income flowing, doing so many more things. Uh, it's, it's, we, we've got to do better. I, I've said that before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call. And the comments. Let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert. Oh, that's perfect. Hey, sorry, guys. I'm a little heated up um, about this whole conversation. And it's only because it's not in a personal attack on anybody with their opinions. But you, um, I think we're missing a huge piece of the puzzle, especially when you consider Michigan and Detroit. Um, with the, the, the uh, recent boom um, that's taking place in Detroit, the service industry is taking off. Now, we are not closely looking at the service industry. Um, there are a lot of talented people who, um, this is somebody who's been in the service industry for 15 years and has worked at two different very large brands um, in the last five years and traveled on their behalf as an ambassador and somebody who's worked on their management teams. The way that we treat um, the people who live in Detroit and work in Detroit um, from the service industry standpoint, is not up to par. Hmm. Um, I'll give you an example, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I have, if I'm a, if I'm a manager, and I have employees who are having to catch the bus to work every day, and you know I've caught the bus in the city my entire life. If they have to start at 8 a.m. and they have to get up at 5 a.m. to catch that bus every day. Um, when you come at an employee or when you speak to an employee in terms of a way that they are not trying, and that employee sees contradictions in that manager's kind of behavior, mm. um, for example, you drive into work every day in your nice car mm. and you sit in the office for eight hours a day and you yell at me. Um, there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of misinterpretation. Mm. Um, to to kind of get to the point here, there are people in the service industry 
who aren't able to attend these meetings and these workshops because they work night jobs. Sometimes they're working two jobs. Um, these are people who, if you take away the, the title of, of cook or server or bartender or gas station attendant, you have people with, um, you know, uh, human skills, communication, um, on-the-fly math, leadership, logistics. These are people who are only getting paid $10 an hour. Yeah. These are people who are working for bosses who have gotten their positions due to nepotism. These are people who are wanting human connection in these companies, especially these craft beer places and these places like Quicken Loans. They use the type of terms that a millennial or someone of a younger generation wants to hear. And they get used up and put through the system and they get burned out. Yeah. They're working crazy hours because they want to feel like they belong to something. Robert, because, yep, Robert, I sorry. really appreciate the call and that perspective. I mean, again, it's the kind of thing that only somebody who's experienced it, I think, can really share. Amber, Lindsay, I, you were sitting here nodding your head as uh, as he was talking. This seems correct. like a familiar, a familiar He's absolutely experience. correct. He's, and then that makes you kind of give up and if you're a hustler you're like i don't need this job <laughs> I honestly can, I you're can like make it some other way i i'll figure it out because what i'm gonna make here in two weeks i probably can make it in a day honestly and you don't realize it or like step back and say well wait a minute this is gonna take away from the kids this is gonna really take away from what my real goal is you know, when I got into that trouble, my real goal was to have something for my kids, period. At the time, I probably didn't know what it was. But getting that little bit of time, I realized, like, this is what it is. But the whole goal is to provide for my children, to provide for my family. So when you get a boss talking to you like, oh, you just, you're just taking all day. And you're like, no, I like to work. I want to come here. Like, I go to jobs thinking I am the boss. <laughs> and it's like, well, you're not the boss, but I come with that leadership. I come with that determination to say, well, hey, let's get the job done. But then you have someone talking to you like, yeah, it doesn't feel like you really want to be here. Well, in my mind, I don't because I want my own business. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But I'm here to do the but job. Also, you're there and all of the things that you had to go through to be there. It's not just a matter of getting up and going to work. You've got all of these other challenges around yeah. you. And so just the fact that you're there. Uh, means something a lot more than it might for, for someone else. Again, Robert, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go you, quickly Robert. to Paul and Troy. Paul, welcome to Hi the there. show. Uh, hi there. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I was listening to your program before, like a couple weeks ago, and you had regional authority transportation guy on, mm -hmm. and it was very interesting, and I listened to both sides. You know, I'm trying to be very open-minded, so I'd be considered to be an independent thinking kind of a person. But when I listen to these things, what's so annoying to me is that these people put their political stance like, oh, we're opposed to it because we need to save money. We don't want to spend any money on extending bus services to people who need it. And then there's the independent-minded person. It's like... You want to do whatever you can do to support the economy here. And if you get people to be transfer, transporting to and from work, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And it just helps. And I don't really understand why it's always couched in this political you know, um, dialectic where it's like one side is this, one side is this. It's like so simple to me. You know, even when you think about Detroit and the 
development of Midtown and all of it. It's like it happened because a lot of people from all over the place decided to just invest in the thing and mm-hmm. build it up and make it happen. And it's possible if people just let it happen as opposed to always throwing it under the filter of, oh, well, that's a liberal thing to do or sure. or it costs so much money and all we're going to do is increase taxes because of it. I heard it even on the road discussion that you had a couple of days ago. Yeah, no, I mean, those are, those, are, those are constant tensions that we hear during the conversations that we have here on the show, Paul, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, I will make a note also that on Thursday we are going to talk with Dave Coulter, the new Oakland County executive, about transit and a lot of other things, and we will bring up a lot of these uh, these same issues and have the conversation with him as well. Steve, Go ahead, uh, you know, I think that's a real important point that we always think about transit sort of in the the human side of it. If you look at it through an economic lens, it makes all sorts of sense to invest in these types of things. Mm-hmm. There are studies out there that show that companies, these service industries, uh, dry cleaning, restaurants, all this type of stuff, uh, hotels, they want to be on a corridor where there's transit. So it, it makes all sorts of sense. It doesn't make sense to fund this stuff with a property tax, but if you're going to do it, let's think of it in terms of the businesses that are being served, the businesses that are going to pay that property tax and invest and it's going to help them in the long term. It's going to help people like Amber that need to use that service. Uh, it's going to lift our economy of our region. And, and so, yes, there are others that are going to benefit from it. It's it's the human side as a side effect of it. But it's an economic investment in who we are as a place in our community, our region. And looking through that lens, it makes a lot of sense to invest in that. Yeah. Okay. Eric Lufer, president of Citizens Research Council, and Amber Lindsay. It was really great to have you here, Amber. Thank you. I'm we glad want to, to wish you great luck here. with your food truck, right? Thank <laughs> we'll you. We'll connect Kitchen you with some resources five. there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, up next, we're going to talk with a City Lab reporter about a recent study that it examines and ranks American cities based on the number of people who want to go and live there and the number who want to leave. Fascinating data in that study about the city of Detroit. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 